Well, it was wonderful to be here this morning, to sit uh, at the side there and to listen to Russ ministering. And uh, of course, he focused, if you were listening at home or uh, you were here in the chapel uh, also, he was focusing on that wonderful verse in the letter to the church in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, quite a few anecdotes and little stories, but uh, it was wonderful to sit and to listen. And uh, Russ was describing, quite rightly so, uh, this letter to the church in Rome as uh, the uh, great highlight uh, of the Bible, such a crystal clear representation and explanation and application of the gospel, the cathedral of uh, the Bible, where you step inside this book and uh, you say, wow, uh, what a display of the grace and the mercy and the love of God uh, shining forth through the Saviour, Jesus Christ. And these first 11 chapters that we've covered uh, highlight the gospel, the good news. First of all, it tells us the bad news, uh, why it is that we need Jesus Christ. If we don't see we need him, he's just an interesting person of history. Once I recognise I am a sinner before a holy God, and God is one to whom I must give an account, if there's sin to my account, there's no way I can enter heaven. And the only alternative is to know his wrath Forever and forever is a long, long time. But the good news comes remarkably. It's too good to be true. Left to ourselves, we could never, ever take it in that God would send his son to pay the remedy for sin, to pay the price, that he would become a man without ceasing to be God. Jesus Christ, the God-man, one person, two natures, fully God, fully man, and he'd live a perfect life, keeping the law of God. Then he'd die in my place and suffer the horrors of hell that I deserve and countless billions of people deserve. And he'd do it for me. And the text over the pulpits. Though he, speaking of Jesus, was rich, the richest, yet for your sakes, take it personally, my friend, at home or here in the chapel, it's for you, for your sakes, he became poor, the poorest. There's no one poorer than Jesus Christ. Calvary was the place of the desolation where he became the poorest in the whole history of forever. And he died for us that we might know forgiveness and restoration and we might know that righteousness that Russ spoke about this morning. So Christ has dealt with our sin. There needs to be a response from my heart that I repent of what I am and I trust in Jesus Christ and I receive forgiveness of sins, peace with God. He takes my sin, I get his clean life. What a bargain. Be a fool to refuse such an offer. Come to Christ and know forgiveness of sins and peace with God. The barrier's then gone. You come to know God here and now and you're guaranteed heaven. How can you know you're going to heaven? Because it's not based on what I do but what on Jesus Christ has done. So that's the first 11 chapters. And in a sense, they're glorious. And we can stand back and say, this is marvellous. This is wonderful. Hallelujah. Praise God. How wonderful to consider these wonderful, wonderful truths. But then we come to chapter 12, 
13, 14, 15, 16. And we can no longer stand back and admire the gospel because chapters 12 to 16 come on to application. In the light of what God has done for us in Christ, there must be a response from you and from me. And verses 1 and 2, we spent three weeks going through verses 1 and 2, are the banner headlines of these chapters of application. And if I understand them and if I preach them rightly and you listen rightly, you ought to find these chapters far harder than chapters 1 to 11 because they're going to make demands of you and me. Chapters 1 to 11 will demand our awe and praise but chapters 12 through to 16 are going to demand our very lives given over to the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us so these chapters should be challenging and if I can preach them in a way that leaves me feeling comfortable and you feeling comfortable then I haven't preached them correctly and you're not listening and hearing what the Spirit is saying through the Word. So that banner headlines here, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, verses chapters 1 to 11, to present your bodies, all of you, the thinking bit and the acting bit, the physical and the spiritual body, mind and soul, the whole totality of what you are, present yourselves as living sacrifices. Now, a sacrifice has no plans for itself. Jesus says in the Gospels, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. And anybody carrying a cross had no plans for themselves. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember the translation there could well be and should be perhaps uh, the logical conclusion of the gospel. This is only logical that you give yourself to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's the banner headline for these uh, concluding chapters to the letter to the church in Rome. What is my response to the gospel? So having those banner headlines, we then come on to various sections and verses 3 through to 8, and uh, we'll cover it this week, but there's something more to say about it, God willing, uh, next Sunday evening. We're thinking about areas of service. How can I, as an individual Christian, serve the living God in my local church situation? It's all about the gifts that God gives to his people. Let's look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, this is the Apostle Paul writing, around about uh, 60, late 50s AD, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
First of all, Paul reminds the people he's speaking to. Originally, Christians in Rome. Contemporarily, you and me here tonight. These are not just the opinions of uh, any Tom, Dick or Harry. These are the Holy Spirit-inspired words of the Apostle, appointed directly by Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul. So he emphasises that before he gets on to his application, because the application is what really matters here. For by the grace given to me, as an Apostle, divinely appointed to breathe out the Word of God, I say to everyone among you, Now, I love words like that, everyone. So, who here is not an everyone? Well, we're all included now. And you listening at home, you are included here. The Spirit speaking through the Word directly now to you. And what's he saying? You ought not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But you should think with sober judgment... And each one of us should think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, we could put a little subheading here, uh, a right understanding of yourself. Uh, Who am I? I, as the pastor here, ought to think rightly about myself. I oughtn't to think too highly of myself. Another word he uses here, I ought to think soberly, about myself and you about yourself. Whatever your gift or position might be in the body that we're going to come on to look at, we ought to think rightly, not too high-minded, think clearly and soberly and use in thinking about yourself the, the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. And that measure of faith is is gospel faith. Uh, The measure, uh, the metron from which we get meter. Measure yourself according to the gospel. Now, what does the gospel say about me? First of all, it tells me I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. So I, I must never think too highly of myself because I am a sinner. Weak, sinful human being. Without Christ, I can do nothing At all, how can there be arrogance in a Christian? We ought to be the most humble people and truly humble, not a false humility that ever could be. We're the dust of the earth. Proud dust, how could it ever be? Do you ever raise a little flag for yourself? Look at me, look at me. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should do. Think rightly about yourself. You're a sinner. You are hell-bound. And apart from God intervening in his grace and mercy, you would still be hell-bound. How can anybody exalt themselves in any office or position in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? But also, don't think too lowly of yourself. See what you are in Christ. You're a sinner, but you're a saved sinner. You're now a child of God. You're an heir of God. You're going to inherit eternity. You're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your prospects are incredible. 
I mean, you might think of somebody who's the son of the, who's the richest, it's Terry Matthews, is it? The, the current richest man in Wales, and he's number three richest man in the UK. I don't know if he's got children, I don't know anything about him. He's just an illustration that comes to mind. Well, if he has a son, that son's going to inherit. I mean, my son's going to inherit, and my daughter's too. But uh, I don't know, if I live another 30 years, who knows? There won't be a lot left. He'll have gone on my uh, income and world cruises with Jill and whatever. It, but, but, but Terry Matthews and his children, well, great prospects. But what has Terry Matthews got com- uh, compared with the eternal God? You, you look up at space and you see the... The, the galaxies and millions of light years away and 200,000 million other galaxies in the known universe. And that's mine as an heir of, Christ, of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So think soberly. Use the measure of faith that's been given to you, the gospel. Measure yourself against the gospel. What am I? Sinner, dust of the earth, hell-deserving. What am I? Saved sinner, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Think of yourself with sober judgment. He's going to apply this to the gifts that we have. You might say, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't do too much in a local church. Some people are here, there and everywhere. If there's a job up for, well, I'm going to do that one as well. No, look, come on. Think of yourself, sober judgment. What are your gifts? Maybe that's not today's problem in in local churches. Maybe it's that we do too little. Oh, I'm useless. Away with that thought. You're a Christian. You're saved. You're a child of God. And Jesus Christ has gifted you. Oh, I don't know what I can do. Find out then what you can do. Find out what is your gift God willing, we'll come on to that next week, how we discern what our gifts actually are. Think of yourself rightly. Don't do too much. Oh, I can do everything. Don't think too little. Oh, I'm a miserable wretch. I, oh, I'm a worm, and uh, I, I better just hide away somewhere. Also, think rightly about yourself. Don't do the wrong things. Don't try and put a square peg in a, in a round Whole. So think rightly about yourself, says Paul, inspired by the Spirit. Then from verses uh, 4 and 5, understand your place and your position. Let me read those verses. 4. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members, one of the other. A Christian. Here I am, an individual Christian here. In this local church, in the universal church, let's think of the local church in particular, I am a part of the body of Christ. And this expresses our unity. We're one, because we're the same body but also our diversity because the body has many different working parts that make up the whole. And the analogy the Spirit uses here and in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 2 and other areas too 
is the analogy of the human body. So um, let me just read some of these passages to you where again the human body is the analogy. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members or parts, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So the body has many members. Uh, if, if, if I, Andy Christophides, were just an eye, it'd be very strange here this evening, just an eye plonked on the lectern here. Maybe through some technology, by blinking and looking, I could activate some sort of a computer, but it wouldn't be very interesting. Just an eye on the lectern. But no, my body is very diverse, so it is with any local church going further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4 and then verse 16. Ephesians 4 and verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And on and on uh, he goes there. Verse 16 of Ephesians 4. Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, let's make much of that, when each part of the body, my body, the analogy, the local church, each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, though it's through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God, uh, the body, the local church, is a body. The analogy is the human body. So let's take a human body. Take, take me. Here I am. You can see me at home. You can see me here in the chapel. Now, I have a head. And I tend to think I'm around here somewhere. But in the head is my, my, my mind here. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking. But then my head and, and me, I, I have a body. And my body works together as my mind sends signals through my brain the body is working together to serve my purposes. So here now I want to take off my glasses. Now my mind can't do it. So my mind, I don't know how it's really quite fascinating. Going to send a signal now, right hand or left hand, both to the glasses. Move forwards, put them down. Can't see very clearly, pick them up the back on legs take me off to my right 
Isn't that amazing? Thinking, doing, left, left, left. Scratch your head, scratch your nose. I, I've got an itch. If my arms suddenly stop working or won't respond, it's more difficult to me. I've got a, I can't even. I've got some ways of overcoming a paralysis in parts of my, my body, but working together to serve my purposes. Now, with some people, there is a paralysis and they stand out. If there's somebody. There's a crowd of people, and you're observing a crowd. Who's going to stand out? It's the man with the limp. The man with the limp, and I, I could see him, and uh, why? Well, he was different to the rest. He had a limp. And what sorts of churches stand out? Those who are, who've got a limp. There's something not quite, quite right, and they, they stand out. something odd there in that particular uh, church. There can be neurological diseases where the, the mind can no longer send signals through the nervous system. We learned yesterday, it's gone public, Jeremy Paxman has uh, Parkinson's disease and it's, uh, it is being treated, but there are side effects from that and consequences. Uh, we got uh, a member here with MND, motor neuron disease, and the effects of that are, are very, very devastating. Uh, multiple sclerosis. Others maybe get dementia and the mind can no longer even use the brain to communicate in a way that it desires to. But here we have the body. As long as the body is working in conjunction with the head, uh, all is well. And so it is with the local church. Jesus Christ is the head. Glory be to his name. And he has his purposes. And he's no need to do this, but it's part of the eternal divine plan. He could operate directly and suddenly have a host of people in glory. But he has so chosen in conjunction and consultation with the Father and with the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ will use his body here on earth, which is his people, the church throughout the ages, the church on planet earth right now, the visible church, which consists of many, many, many local churches such as this one. And Jesus Christ has his eternal purpose and he's using his body, that's you and me, to fulfill his eternal purposes. Jesus is the head and we all, every one of us, if we're Christians, are part of his body. And we function together to fulfill his will. <clears throat> and a healthy church body needs to know the will of the head. And the will is, is here. This is his general will. We're thinking last time, which links in with verse 2. How do we know his particular will? For us as Christians, which university should you go to? You might have your plans. Is it, is it, his, is it his will? What's your next job going to, to be? Um, many questions. And, and it's not in the Bible, is it? It's not in the Bible. 
But we need to be under his word and submitting to him and obedient. And he makes his particular will clear. And us as a local church, how are we going to discern and know who the next pastor should be? We can narrow things down using his word. But for his particular will, we need to be under his word together. So we have the two services on a Sunday. We have a midweek meeting. And when we can be there, we should be there. Not doing it because God speaks to the body through the head, and the head is speaking through the words. And we need to be individually under His word and collectively under His word. A healthy church will fulfill the will of God, and we should have a unity of purpose. And what will Christ have us do? Go into all the world and take the good news to all people. So we are to be witnesses to him the apostle Paul says I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection that's part of uh, what we would want to do but growing the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to know him better we have a unity of purpose but to fulfill that purpose there is a diversity of gifts and there's a number of them listed here in Romans chapter 12. And I want to note this before we go on to the details of what these gifts are. Take good note of this. Every true believer is gifted. There's not an exception. There really is not an exception. Every true believer has a gift or gifts and they come from Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 7 When he ascended Christ, he gave gifts to men. He gifts every believer. And we, if you're a Christian here listening or in in the building, we must all use those gifts. See, if I have a gift from God, it must be used. It mustn't be abused. It mustn't be unused. And the parable that Jesus tells of the talents, Matthew 25, here's one man and uh, he's given five talents. Here's another man, he's given two talents. Here's another man, he's given one talent. Now the five talent man, he sets to work and he earns five more talents. Now he's going to be a very busy man. He's running this meeting, that meeting, and he volunteers for this, and he's doing that, and the other, and the other. So he's got five, and they're on the go, and he's using them to the glory of God, and there he is. And then there's a guy here, he has two talents. So he's doing this, and he's doing this, and he's, yeah, he's using them, he's filling his time. He's also got a family, and he's going to work, and in the family, and at work, and in the life of the church, he's using two talents, And he makes two more. And then there's the guy, and he has one talent, and maybe he's a little bit miffed. I'm not as gifted as him, so I don't know why. I I won't even bother. No, I can't do that. And I'm I'm not going to volunteer for that. And then the other people, no, I can't do that either. No, I'm not going to volunteer for that. No, I'm I'm just a miserable person. And no, no, others others can do it. He's more gifted than me. I'm just a one talent person. And so he does nothing, and Jesus says he buries it effectively. If you've got a gift, you use it. I've got too many. He's given you them. You've got to use them. 
And then comes the great accounting. What have you done with my five talents? Lord, I made five more. Well done. Come into your inheritance. The man who received two, what have you done with them? I made two more. Well done. Now notice, the guy who had the two talents isn't expected to earn five. But he is expected to do something with it. I guess if he'd earned one more, there'd be a commendation. But he earned two more. He makes maximum use of his two. And then comes the guy who had one. What have you done? I buried it. I buried it. Take it off him. Give it to the one who had five and now has ten. But he's already got ten. (laughs) To he who has much, more will be given. To he who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away from him. No, we... Now, think of this with sober judgment. And next week, God willing, we'll look at how to discern what your gifts might be. But my friends, gifts are there to be used. They're there to be used. Why have I got this reference here? Let's have a look. What does this say? Ephesians 4 and verse 16. Yeah. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Are you working properly, my friend? Are you working properly, pastor? Are we all working properly in the chapel or at home? Because it's only when each part is working properly that the whole church will grow so it builds itself up in love. So notice Every true believer has a gift or gifts, and those gifts must be used. Must be used. And notice too that these gifts are all of his grace. They're all of his grace, Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every gift I have, reminder again, it's of his grace. I have nothing to boast of. If I can preach, glory be to God, it's his gift to me. If you can welcome somebody at the door with a smile, even when things are difficult in your life, glory to God. Some people just can't do it, you know, but you've got a certain gift. Uh, the way you're able to perhaps produce those rotors and to keep on smiling. I don't know how anybody does something like, like that. But glory be to God. We have nothing to boast of because they're all of his grace. And therefore they are to be used graciously. It's possible to preach in an ungracious manner and to try and score points against people of the congregation. You know, the ministers who might well do that. They know something about somebody, so they'll choose a text that's appropriate and preach against them. What a terrible thing to do. What an ungodly thing to do. How we need the constraints of good expository preaching where you simply go through a book and uh, if it's the next verse coming... And there's somebody there with a problem. If the cap fits, then you wear it. It's not me who's having a go, but the Spirit through, through the Word. No way to use these gifts graciously in a loving manner to the glory of God. And above all, that's why I went on and read that extra verse um, in Romans chapter uh, 
12, I think I went, yes I did. I'm going the wrong way in the Bible now. Where am I? Verse 9, let love be genuine. The greatest grace, this grace of, of love to do things in a loving way. And again, let's, let me take this as, as an example then, because it readily came to mind. Let me use it again. <clears throat> there is a few folks in the church who have had the, uh, this particular task. There's somebody now who has this particular task, and they're doing it because they're good at it, but they could do it in a grumpy way, but they don't. They don't. Imagine having to organise all these rotors when we used to have ro- duty rotors. Somebody on the door, somebody serving teas and coffees, others on the creche, and uh, they coordinate all these, they put it out, and then somebody would say, sorry, I can't do that. Can I go? And she'd say, well, here's, here's, take, here's version two, here's version three. Oh, sorry, with a smile, here's version four. I'd be tearing my hair out. I'd have torn my hair out. And then people don't turn up for their duties, but still this person is smiling and uh, little reminders go out. Could, could you please make sure? And uh, then she, maybe a little note comes to me. Can you say from the pulpit, pulpit, could please people make sure they do? And now this person's got the task of saying, who comes to church? And different zones, filling them up in the morning and in the evening. And now there's garden church uh, uh, as well to sort out. And then we, we put in uh, a midweek meeting uh, uh, as well. And uh, so these allocations go out and then people don't turn up and somebody else could have taken that place. But there's a, a great, look, a gracious response. There's a lovely email went out uh, this week about, uh, oh, just a lovely turn of phrase about the pressure on the morning service this morning because Russ was, uh, pre- the, there's a phrase, lovely Russ. He's going to preach and many want to come. So if you can't make it, you're on this rotor, please let me know. There are many others who'd love to be here. Gifts used graciously. It makes all the difference in the world. If you've got a grumpy person with a gift, it grates. And my friends, Really don't bother. Your spirit is wrong. You can't do something in love. Why bother doing it at all? Listen now, time is is going. There's a list of gifts here in Romans chapter 12. There are seven of them here in Romans chapter 12. If you went to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are nine gifts listed there. Uh, Later on in Romans chapter 12, there are further eight gifts. Gifts, lift, gifts listed. In Ephesians chapter 4, there are four gifts listed. Put them all together, you've got 20 odd gifts, but that list is not exhaustive. And that'll be relevant when we come on to see next week, God willing, what our gift in particular might be. Let's quickly go through the list that's here in Romans chapter 12, then we'll come to a conclusion. It'll just be a quick overview. And it comes really in verses 6 and, and onwards. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy heads many of the lists of gifts in the Bible. It clearly is an important gift. What is this gift of prophecy? A little bit of controversy about this. 
before the completion of the Bible, which is the full final revelation to mankind from God, there were men called apostles, capital A, who as they went around and were inspired by the Spirit, they spoke the Word of God. And when they wrote these letters, this became part of the Scripture, God's revelation through the prophets, Old Testament, and apostles in the New Testament. Here's the, the Scripture. But in the New Testament, there was clearly a category of men who had direct prophetic words through the Holy Spirit to which local churches responded. For example, Acts chapter 11 and verse 27. <clears throat> now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. There's a prophet, Agabus, he's well known. There's going to be a great famine over the known world. So in response to this, the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Here's a prophet giving a prophecy about some future event. There's going to be a famine. And the people take note because he is a prophet and they respond accordingly. Time's running on, so I won't give the other example in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, but do have a look at that if you'd like to. These prophets in the New Testament days were clearly also preachers of God's word and they spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Then I fell down, says John, at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The very heart of prophecy here, the story of, of Jesus. Tell me the stories of Jesus. And these prophets uh, in the New Testament were also preachers of the word. And so I guess the succession to those prophets would be the pastor teacher of today, preachers who preach about the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophecy of Jesus is the spirit, the spirit of prophecy is the teaching about Jesus Christ, the testimony about him. It must be done graciously. Number two on the list here is a lovely one. Service. If your gift is service, then use it in serving. Service, same word as, as deacon. Uh, rendering practical help, rendering practical service. Somebody's ill, you bake them a cake, cook a meal, arranging flowers, some are gifted at that, mending a fuse, uh, rebooting the YouTube feed. I wouldn't have a clue. YouTube feeds down, Rachel going sorted out. Can you? No, horrified. 
Roger, can you? No. But I know a man who can. I know a man who can. And he can do it mid-service. It's amazing. And comments come on the feed. Oh, it's, it's gone off. And then a little note. It's coming back soon. And, and there. And it comes back on. Uh, offering hospitality. Running an errand for, for somebody. Service. Serving. Practical service. It's a gift. You, have you got it? Use it. Can you bake cakes? Great. What a, what a gift. What a wonderful gift to have. Teaching is the next one. Teaching. What a wonderful thing to be able to teach. The one who teaches serve, should serve by teaching. It's obvious, isn't it? If you can serve, serve. If you can preach, preach. If you can teach, teach. It seems to fit, doesn't it? It seems to fit. If you can, do it. If you can do it, do it. Teaching. What a wonderful gift teaching is. Teaching is the ability to make truth clear. Now, some people, I think I said it recently, it might have been in a midweek meeting, professors in university, in my university days, they might have written many books and be internationally famous. When he'd come to give me a lecture, they were useless because I was left scratching my head. What on earth is he talking about? No idea how to communicate. Some people can communicate. How wonderful. Use it. Teach children, young people, adults, Bible studies, leading home groups. Get on with it. If you can teach, teach. He is a great gift. Uh, the one who exhorts. Get on and exhort. Exhortation. Some people are able to encourage. We should all encourage each other. But, you know, some people are good at it. You've had the experience, haven't you? Um, there's somebody coming up the drive. Now your heart rises or takes a dive. It depends. Some bring sunshine. Some are gifted at bringing a cloud. It's just the way it is. Just the way it is. Some people are wonderful at getting alongside others and lifting them. Support, advice, there's a ready smile, they exude grace. Uh, such people are great at welcoming people on the door. Now, we're not all good at welcoming people on the door. Some people have got a natural frown, and it's maybe not their fault, just their disposition. It's rather unfortunate. Don't put them on the door. Don't volunteer for that rotor. But if you have that sunny disposition, get up front. I mean, there's a guy here, it's his second time in church. I hope you've had a warm welcome each time. You know, the person at the door makes a difference. Is it a warm welcome that you receive? Or do you think, well, I won't go back there. What a grumpy lot they were. No, exhorters and encouragers, if you've got that gift, <clears throat> wonderful, use it. Then the next one. These are very general, aren't they? Wonderful. Uh, the one who contributes, do it generously. Uh, contributing to the needs of others. Now, so the question is this then. What's my gift? Let's assess yourself now about this one. Have you been blessed with an excess? Now, it could be money. It could be possessions. Do you have a big house, maybe a second home and a holiday home? Have you got several cars? Maybe there's not much in the bank, but you've got these possessions. Maybe you haven't got many possessions, but there's money in the bank. 
Maybe you're blessed in this way, with lots of time on your hand. Maybe you've uh, retired recently. And suddenly you've gone from being frantic and all the Lord coming home. And, um, and now suddenly there's, there's time. So able to contribute. Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it time? Then you can help the, with the others who've got a lack in those particular areas. And we do it gladly and cheerfully. Number six in the list of seven here uh, the one who leads, a lovely Greek word, proistemi, means to preside, to rule, or to be over. So it could apply to a church elder, could apply to a husband, it could be a group leader, home group leader, mother and toddler leader, YPF leader, whatever it might be, one who leads or presides over a group of people, then you do it with, with zeal. I think it's really important that a group leader has a real vision for a work uh, and a, a, a zeal and an enthusiasm. Because if there's somebody organising something, you say, oh, you fancy coming? Did you ask anybody, oh, I couldn't be bothered, no, no one's going to come anyway? Oh, a leader, lead with zeal, be enthusiastic. <sighs> Come on, folks. Come on. Tally ho, here's the hunt, blow the horn, off we go. All for one, one for all, three musketeers, who's leading? Off we go. A man of, of vision. So I'd say, come on Wednesday to the home group. If you don't yet go to a home group, why not? If you're a member in the church, you ought to be, well, you have been assigned. Feeling uncomfortable? Good, good, here's the word of God. But I can't come because I'm unwell and because that's fine. There are reasons. May they never become excuses. Don't watch the football instead of being at the home group. And think that God is going to lead and guide and bless the local church because you're limping along. Be there if you can be. Oh, he's getting at me now. No, oh, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. If a cap fits, wear it to, to be there when we can be there. Come along. The last little one here, and with this we will finish uh, this evening. The one who does acts of mercy. So you wouldn't think that that's a gift, would you? Some people are particularly gifted at acts of mercy. They spot those in need and are drawn to them. The marginalised, the untouchables, those who are out of the uh, circle and they look to draw them in and they're drawn to them. It could be in the church, it could be in the local district. Maybe it's the homeless people that you encounter here and there. Those with obvious needs in the church or outside or, or both a care and a concern for the needy. It would fill, spill over to the sick and the elderly and the, and the dying in the life of the church. There are those who are particularly drawn with ministries. A number of names of folks come to my mind right now in this church who are particularly drawn and useful and gifted and helpful in those areas. We all ought to be concerned 
but some are particularly gifted in that area. Let me give you a little quotation from Hendrickson's commentary. The sick, dying and bereaved are in need of visits by someone who knows how to impart genuine Christian sympathy and understanding. Someone who shows mercy with, as it says here, cheerfulness. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. How can I be cheerful when someone's in such a dire situation? My friend, that's what they need. And he gives a quotation from John Calvin. For as nothing gives more solace to the sick or to anyone otherwise distressed than to see those cheerful and prompt in assisting them, so also to observe sadness in the countenance of those by whom assistance is given makes them feel down. And then Hendrickson adds this. I would only add to this in a brief, I would only add to this that a brief, cheerful visit by a wise, sympathetic fellow member who is willing to help in every possible way is certainly of far more benefit than the almost endless recital of all the horrendous details of the operation recently performed on the caller, namely Mr. Sad. Those who'll visit you, they'll get brief, cheery visits. How are you? Read a psalm, pray with them off on, on the way. Somebody else turns up and they'll just tell the poor sufferer, oh, I had an operation myself as well, and tell you all the details of all the sadnesses they've been through. And Hedrickson says, that's no good. And he quotes Proverbs, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. This holds both for the patient and for the visitor. Or those who are showing acts of mercy to do it cheerfully. Let love be genuine. That's all we'll cover tonight. It's ten past six. Next time we'll look at how it is that we discern what gifts it is that we have. And having discerned them clearly, then we need to use them. But maybe you're thinking, well, I just don't know what my gift is. Well, there's help from the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We pray, Lord, that we would be under your word and willing to hear what you have to say to us. Thank you for all the gifts displayed in this particular church given by Jesus Christ. May they be used to the common good and to the glory of your name. Amen.